welcome to the Beltway Outsider Podcast. I am your host, columnist for the Conservative Institute, author of the Beltway Outsider's weekly newsletter, and a lawyer out of Nashville, Tennessee, Daniel Vaughn. Make sure to rate and review this podcast. We're in iTunes and Spotify. That feedback in those rankings helps out with the algorithms and helps other people find us in those platforms. You can get links to this podcast as well as any links to my columns for at the Conservative Institute and my weekly newsletter at thebeltwayoutsiders.com. Make sure to click the newsletter, sign up there. All of this will be in the show notes, so no need to take any notes yourself. In today's episode, I'm going to cover two quick stories that came up. The first was a Monmouth poll that caused waves that was an outlier among all the other polls, and the second was a viral tweet about a 1993 news story that dealt with uh, the so-called gay gene. But the main topic I'll be covering today is a series of articles out of Axios that were covering the big ideas out of the Democratic Party and how... It has moved the Democratic Party in these primaries to the hard left. In fact, Axios uh, called this move to the hard left. They said it was something that you couldn't even foresee just three years ago. So those are the topics for today, and we're going to jump right in. At the time I'm recording this, which is Sunday morning, the... The latest from the National Hurricane Center just came out on Hurricane Dorian, and I know I've got friends down in Florida, and it has just become a Category 5 storm, the strongest storm of this season so far, and the believe the last I heard from one of the meteorologists was that it's the, four, the fourth, category, fourth year that we've had a Category 5 storm, fourth in a row, which is pretty interesting to note, especially after we had a decade where the Atlantic was silent on that. So if you're in the path of that storm, make sure to follow your local weather and keep yourself informed because the Category 5 storm is nothing to mess around with. All right, the first quick story that I wanted to cover was this Monmouth poll. It caused quite a stir if you follow some of the if you follow some of the election nerdery or horse race stuff, the things that I covered last week what I would call the poll nerds, I guess, it showed for the first time uh, from any poll that there was a three-way tie at the top of the Democratic ticket, that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders both had 20% of the vote, and Joe Biden had fallen 19%. So basically a three-way tie, and no other poll at any other organization had showed anything close to this. Even the pollsters who aren't that great for Joe Biden. And so... It just it caused a huge stir, and people, hilariously enough, were fighting over the results of this poll. And the Monmouth actually had to come out and issue their own statement, and they acknowledged that this was an outlier, uh, that they wanted to go above and beyond to making sure they released their results, even if it showed something that was different from everybody else. So for that, I applaud them. Uh, but he, the reason that he took over the news was that the media really wants to show that anyone but Biden can come up and take the lead. And so any poll that comes out and shows Biden losing steam and falling in various places in the polls just becomes a national story. And so this outlier poll that admittedly had its problems with it 
um, it it became a national story just because it showed what the media wanted to show. It proved it showed that narrative, and so just like a day or two after they did that, the after they released that Obama poll, several other pollsters released their own that showed Biden was still in the mid 30s and Warren and Sanders were still lagging far behind Biden. So in reality, the race hasn't changed. There wasn't a major story that came out and moved things. It was an outlier poll that was wrong. But it did, what it did show was that the media is actively looking for any evidence that, to prove the narrative that Joe Biden is falling in the polls and people need to jump on the next candidate. So that's really what it showed in the end. The second thing I wanted to cover here real quick was a viral tweet of an old newspaper article. And the title of this was Abortion Hope After Gay Gene Findings. And it was in the Daily Mail on July 16th, 1993. So in the early 90s, a study came out and said that the reason that people were gay, lesbian, or otherwise is that there were certain genetic markers in their DNA that caused them to be gay. This ended up being overplayed in the media and everything, but what some people noted, or this article here, there were a few others like it, both on the left and the right, they said that if parents saw this and they didn't want to deal with it, what they could do is that they could abort children that showed this uh, gene to avoid having homosexual kids. And this was seen as a valid thing because if you are pushing choice at all for all things, that is a, a choice that a mother can make, and it's a, just another valid choice that she can she has in her arsenal. Uh, it's obviously eugenic. I've written plenty about how all these sort of different reasons, whether you're aborting on the basis of genes, uh, race, sex, all of this, we see this across the world, that it is a form of eugenics. And with the most recent thing out of the Wall Street Journal that I mentioned in last week's newsletter, uh, they are, have stirred up the story again where researchers are looking at whether or not you can find these genetic markers for whether or not it makes people gay. And they couldn't find anything really. There are genetic impressions that you can point to, but there's no hard set gene that causes it. It does raise this story again. And the interesting thing is that I found this tweet um, of people on the left, and they were angry that anyone would suggest aborting a child just on the basis that it was potentially homosexual. And that's interesting because it shows that this push for gay rights is pushing up also against the abortion right and that if and it shows that they're not always willing to go and agree with this pro-choice argument if it runs up against another one of their sacred cows they're going to choose against women it looks like in this case because that's the argument that they make that if you come up with something that if you come up with something that pushes a, one right against another right they're choosing to go with gay rights in this case over that of women. And so if you are, that's the argument that they make, that if you if you constrict any form of abortion, you're against women. 
So it's interesting to, sh to note that when you come across these eugenic-style abortions, that the result does, isn't always what you would think. And on the one hand, that's good, because you don't want people aborting children just on the basis of what's in their genes. On another, but on the other saying, it's, it's interesting to note because they're not making the decision that you might expect them to make just going by the rhetoric that you hear every day. So those are the two quick hits. Um, I'll probably turn one of those into an article here at some point because there's a lot more to say on that. But the big story that I wanted to cover today was the stories out of Axios. Uh, Axios is a news newsletter site. They're trying to build a new uh, platform for delivering news that's focused more on podcasts and newsletters. You may have seen some of their journalists on the Sunday political shows or on... I know one of them appears regularly on Fox uh, during the during one of their primetime hours as an analyst. And so Axios is pretty great if you're looking for news coverage. I subscribe to their newsletters and get them, and they did two stories this week. The first one covered sort of a broad look of what Democrats are doing overall in the field and how they're shifting to the left. And the second one focused in on Bernie Sanders and how his extremism on all these policy matters is really pushing the party to the left. So the author in this one case um, said that just three years ago, you couldn't imagine Democrats pushing for some of these things. And so they actually was pointed to what they call a convergence of incentives, fundraising, cable coverage, liberal activism and social media and all of these things are swirling together to inspire Democrats to offer full-throated support of big government liberalism uh, and the key point here and the reason that this matters is the ideas that you're seeing debated in the debate across all these city stops and stump speech the point that's coming across is that neither Hillary Clinton nor Barack Obama could have run on the platform that Democrats are running on today. In fact, they would sound very conservative compared to this field. We'd be comparing them to the moderates. And you can even see this with how Joe Biden, who is a perennial uh, liberal, he had one of the most liberal records in the entire U.S. Senate for his entire, the entirety of his career, he's being presented as a moderate just because you have all of these democratic socialists in the field moving things further and further to the left. And so you see this in, in the most prominent is the most is their big health care proposal, Medicare for all. Um, this message that they're pushing um, would that when you're looking at Medicare for all, it would completely redo everything from insurers, drug companies, hospitals, doctors, it would redo how everybody in this industry would do it because it would it would kick first it would kick everybody off their private health plans you see some of the candidates denying this but the key measure of medicare for all is that everybody has the same large government sponsored plan this isn't a public option like you heard debated during the obamacare days this is a straight up takeover of the entire health industry and the difference here is that Joe Biden is not pushing this, and that's why he's the moderate. He's going for the Affordable Care Act Plus, basically a new version of Obamacare, which 
just three years ago before jumping into the the race between Sanders and Clinton in 2016, this would have been unthinkable. You would not have seen mainstream Democrats coming out supporting getting rid of the health care insurance plan of over 160 million Americans. That would have just been unthinkable because they would all have remembered what happened during the Obamacare debates when just far fewer people lost the health plans that they wanted. So that's the large thing in the healthcare space. You can see this again when you get into climate change because they have these massive plans. Bernie Sanders, he pitched one, as does Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Sanders' plan, Axios estimated, will cost $16 trillion for over 15 years. It's just it's pushing all the candidates to offer something along these lines that matches that. And these, the Green New Deals, as they're calling them, would change every building in America, how it's run. It would change the entire infrastructure for energy. The one thing they typically leave out is, is nuclear, so you know it's not entirely about keeping the planet green because that's one of the cleanest ways and fastest ways we can get onto clean energy. And... It's just these are big policies costing a lot of money that would revamp the entirety of the U.S. economy. And the strangest thing, I think, is is something that Axios pointed out, is that the new in vogue thing is decriminalizing illegal border crossings. During the Democratic debate on June 27th, all 10 candidates raised their hands when asked if their health plan would cover undocumented immigrants. And a growing number of Democrats, including Elizabeth Warren, favored eliminating the laws that criminalize illegal entry, even as a misdemeanor. And that was the New York Times coverage at that point. So you're seeing the Democratic Party on the issue of immigration move not just to the the hard left on this. This is this is basically open borders at this point because if you can't criminalize people who cross illegally then there's no mechanism for any law enforcement there to... Well, there's no law for these law enforcement officers, but be it ICE or Customs and Borders or any other government agency. There's nothing for them to enforce on the border. And this is a big change from times past. Just from Barack Obama, who pushed on... Secure, who When he pushed for the changes he wanted in immigration, he at least acknowledged the fact that we had to secure the border, and he deported more people than any other president before him. He was willing to enforce the current laws to get some of the changes he wanted in immigration law. And now Democrats aren't doing that at all. Now you're seeing them push for a full decriminalization, which in effect leads to open open borders because you can if you can't enforce any laws there, there there's no need to even acknowledge you have a border. You're just existing in a big European zone where people can come and go across any border that they want. And that is a massive sea change that we've seen happen just from the 2016 election to now, just because Donald Trump made immigration and made the border a big issue. You're seeing this reactionary movement on the left to the far left to call any form of enforcement of illegal immigration a form of racism, and so therefore we can't do that anymore. And that's a, I mean, you really can't emphasize how big an, of a change ideas because in times past when you pointed out that certain policies led towards a more open border status uh, Democrats would push back and say no we still want to enforce the borders we're just looking to make current immigration laws better and that's just not the case anymore
the next thing that Axios noted as a big point is student debt. And in June, they say in the, just over the past decade, Democratic Party leaders have gone from advocating modest increases in Pell Grants to pushing for a large-scale debt cancellation. And the estimated size of the student loan debt in America is around $1.5 trillion. And so when they're saying erase that, they're saying the federal government is going to cancel $1.5 trillion in debt which is just a massive sea change as well because it would just it would it changes how you view the entire educational system because it, it doesn't encourage colleges or university to fix what's cost what's driving all these costs and encourages them to drive it up further because they know that if debt's gonna be canceled now, they can keep having kids run up all this debt and it'll probably be canceled again in the future. So what that tells you if you're looking at the broad picture is that there's just no no true moderate at the top of the 2020 pick. That's what Axios said, and I would agree with that too, just because all of these big blind policies are pushing everyone further and further to the left. Biden is called the moderate, and but when he went in an interview with um, ABC's Good Morning America in April, he defended all of his earlier statements saying he'd been one of the most, he had one of the most progressive records of anyone running. And so he claimed that he was always labeled as one of the most liberal members of the United States Congress, which is true. Biden has that long record. He's been in the Senate for forever. He's pushed for numerous liberal policies. And when he claims that he is one of the most liberal members of the U.S. Congress, he's not lying. That that record is there. The problem is, is that he has just stood by as this party continues to move left and he hasn't changed anything he's believed or anything that he's pushed for, he's just stood by while this party has moved further to the left. And one of the forces pushing the entire party to the left is Bernie Sanders. And you can see that in that he has, there's Bernie and then there's his his protégés like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. You have two different versions of this new democratic socialism. And I wrote about this I think it was last week that what Bernie pushes is a class-based democratic socialism where everything is based on a person's class within the society. It's a very classic Marxism. It's classic what you would have found in Soviet Russia. It's just, it's stereotypical socialism. And what AOC and her cohort have done is they've swapped out a version of traditional Marxism and replace class consciousness with identity consciousness, where you identify with whatever identity is pushed within the identity politics, and that triggers a socialist awakening, a sort of consciousness that Marx would have pushed. So those are the two strains that you've seen them come up. It's just a generational change and a move away from Sanders. But while that changes there, the ideas are still the same. And what Axios covered was Bernie's new, he, in order to answer Elizabeth Warren's just onslaught of plan after plan after plan, Sanders is answering this with his own set of plans. And Axios described it as reordering or refereeing almost every part of American life, which is a pretty startling statement to make for a site that's not partisan at all. They're just covering what... Sanders' plan would cover. 
why this really matters is that Sanders leads Trump in a lot of these head-to-head polls. The latest one out of Quinnipiac had him leading Trump 53 to 39. So if Sanders is in a general election with Trump, there's there's a solid chance that he could win. This was true in 2016, too. Uh, I think that the field would consolidate a little bit, and you'd see that those two numbers close up in an actual general election field, but you can't discount the fact that, judging by the facts right now, Bernie Sanders could win, which means his extremist views and the way he would reorder a referee all of society comes into play because he could beat Trump, and he is a factor in this race because I I don't believe he's going to drop out at all. He doesn't have a reason to drop out. And so you have to start taking his ideas seriously, especially if he could win. And he's going to end up winning delegates as we move through these states, so he's going to be a kingmaker at the very least at the Democratic nomination. So his new plan that would affect everything, the first thing that he would change would be how you get your energy. His Green New Deal, which is larger than AOC's Green New Deal that she first pitched when she was elected, would spend $16 trillion to force you to stop using the energy mostly used today, which is oil, gas, and nuclear. And he would want to use cleaner power like wind and solar to replace all of those. So we would be spending our time as a society, to remake every last single form of our energy grid to make way for wind and solar while getting rid of oil, gas, and nuclear. Now, the interesting thing about that is that I can understand getting rid of something like coal and oil, which are dirty, but natural gas has allowed us to, has, in the way it's been implemented in places like Texas, has been very clean and allowed the United States as a whole to lower its carbon footprint and nuclear is among the most clean that there is. And so we're, what they're really doing is not going for green energy, but one of their preferred energies, which is wind and solar. They're picking what they want instead of just going for what is most would make the most impact on climate change. So you can tell the goal here is not so much climate change. It's a socialist reordering of the energy sector. The other thing he would do is he would change how you use your house and your car. The Sanders plans would make the government, the federal government, weatherize homes and small businesses and upgrade gas-powered cars for electric ones. And He would mandate the end of the conventional gas car manufacturing in a decade. So if he were elected in 2020... By 2030, you'd see the end of the gas-powered car, and everyone will be using electric ones under mandate by the federal government, and no one will be able to use them. That doesn't have a price tag to it, but that would cost a lot of money. The, the One of the bailout portions for the auto industry that the Obama administration used in 2008 and 2009 was the Cash for Clunkers program, and it was widely criticized because it, for trying to get rid of old cars off the road because all it ended up doing was switching out old cars for more SUVs. We didn't actually move away from the big gas guzzlers. Now you're seeing car companies move away from small cars entirely. They're only selling SUVs because that's what Americans want. And they're going to want the same type of car even if you move to... a f- full electric version 
And so all you're going to be doing is putting more strain on the power grid to come up with all the extra electricity to do that. So if you're using something like a coal-powered electric grid, which I know Sanders would say he would try to move away from, but that would take a time, you would end up putting more strain on that infrastructure just to cover these new electric cars. You're forcing the infrastructure to do something that is not currently there and to do it in a decade. And that's kind of insane when you think about it. The other thing he would do is he's also for the Medicare for All, so your health insurance would entirely change. He would eliminate private health insurance entirely and put you on a government plan similar to Medicare. He claims it'll be more more generous. There'd be no more co-pays, deductibles, or premiums. And while that sounds great, in theory sometimes, the way he describes it, you're talking about moving 160 million people off of plans that they like. Most people get their health insurance plans through their employers, and they like those plans, and this would force them off of those plans entirely. And that's, you saw what happened in the Obamacare debate, and that would not go over well. That would pretty much give him two years to implement his plan, because the House and the Senate would move away from him. So he's not going to get a decade to do any of this, because everything's going to change in two years, because we know 160 million people will not like getting kicked off their plans. And when you start to poll testing that very idea that people would have would lose their plans, they immediately show uh, fall against it. They want Medicare for all for other people, but not for themselves. The other thing he would cancel um, are is both student debt and medical debt. I said earlier that the student debt cancelization is estimated to be around $1.5 trillion, and the medical debt, which is a plan he started teasing, he hasn't released, but it's estimated that it would take $81 billion to eliminate all medical debt. So effectively what he's doing is just targeting different niche segments of the market and saying, hey, we'll get rid of your debt, and we'll get rid of your debt, and we'll just have the federal government cancel it. You don't have to worry about it at all. This would have long-term ramifications for the debt market and and long-term impact for all these industries because they would then look at it and say, well, if we can have all this debt canceled, we can keep run we can keep running up these bills because most of these hospitals already have their payments in place. So it's the people holding the debt. And they are entire there's the entire industry that deals only with medical debt and only with student loans. And so you'd effectively be crushing them. And then he would turn around and why well, after canceling all that debt and then make tuition at public universities, community colleges, trade schools, apprentice programs, everything, he would make those free. So and on top of the one point five trillion for all the student loans, you then have to start paying for all of these institutions for free, which would not affect the cost. The cost for a four year degree has skyrocketed over the past twenty five, thirty years. And this would do nothing to impact those rising costs. It doesn't force them. In fact, it does the exact opposite. You'll see the costs go up even more because none of these institutions have to worry about cost anymore or making things cost-friendly for, for students. All they have to do is make it, all they have to do is to justify it before the representatives who have the purse strings either in these states or in the federal government. So, in other words, it's not going to get touched. The other thing that's going to make the cost of education go up more is that he would affect how teachers 
are he would hire more, he would raise their salaries, which admittedly is good, and he would fund for more school supplies, but this would also go on top of all of these education programs. So you have an ever-increasing cost and no justification for how to pay for any of this and how he's going to do this while he's also promising full employment. He's guaranteeing $15 an hour. And then he claims that he's just going to pay for all this through tax increases, mostly on the rich. He says there'll be a fat tax increase. His favorite line is millionaires and billionaires will pay for all of it. But you could tax every last single dollar that the rich have, the one percenters have. You would not be able to pay for all of these programs. It's literally impossible. He And the way he's getting around this is he's also saying that he'll he'll raise taxes on everyone else too. Uh, but the cost for all of these programs over the next decade, and this is a conservative ex- estimate by Axios, is $20 trillion, and that excludes Medicare for All. And if you include that, it's at least 40 And I've seen some estimates rise up into the 60 to $70 trillion range just over a decade because you know that there's going this is going to be implemented wrong and there's going to be mistakes, and we've it's similar to any other government program. The rollout is always far worse than the government plans, and so it just doesn't work out quite as they thought it was going to. Sanders' campaign says that Bernie will continue to fight for proposals that save American families money and hold giant corporations accountable. The cost of doing nothing is significantly more expensive for average Americans. And while that may be true, what he's going to create is a system where everyone's going to end up paying for all these welfare programs and effectively a bankrupt. Because if you could see, if these programs could be done on without taxing the middle class or out raising taxes on everyone in general, you'd see some of these blue states do this. California most notably tried to do their estate version of Medicare for All and when their legislators took one look at the costs that it was going to take to implement that program over the long term, they balked, and they backed away from it, and they couldn't do it. So that should tell you something, that when these big states, which are cash-rich, a place like California, when they want to do these massive policies, they're backing off because they can't pay for it, and instead just dumping everything on the federal government and saying, well, we can't do it, even though if you took California made its own nation and be one of the top 10 richest countries in the world. If they can't do it, we'll just dump this on the federal government. Well, if they if California can't do it, then neither can the federal government. There's just no way you can ask these states to do one thing or ask the federal government to do something that the states can't. It's, it's just not going to happen. So that covers the extreme plans that you're seeing from the Democratic Party. This is moving the party ever further left. Uh, you'll hear some commentators call it the Overton window. I've written about that too, where these candidates who are pushing extreme things are doing so to push the mainstream view of the party further to their point of view. That's kind of what Bernie is doing here because he's never really had a clean shot winning the nomination. He has a base of support, but he hasn't been able to grow beyond that in any meaningful way in the party. But what he is doing is moving everybody closer and closer to him. People like Kamala Harris, who have these conservative records on police enforcement in places like California, are moving into these socialist plans and pushing them because they believe that's the only way they're going to win voters in the Democratic primary. 
So that's how it's moved the thought process in the Democratic Party further, further, and left. And it makes people like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton seem conservative in comparison. Obama's Obamacare and Hillary's Hillary Care in the 90s and 2000s, respectively, they those plans were nothing compared to what you're seeing pushed by these new Democratic socialists, and it's moving the party further left. All right, that'll do it for today's shows. Questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email me at daniel.vaughn at thebeltwayoutsiders.com, or you can tweet at me at dvaughnci. You can look for a new Conservative Institute column on Monday and Friday this next week, and make sure to sign up for the newsletter at thebeltwayoutsiders.com. That will come out next Friday. Thanks for downloading and making me a part of your podcast rotation, and make sure to leave a five-star review so that helps out with iTunes. I'll see you next time.